Um, uh, let you know about, uh, my name is Brandon. I get the opportunity to preach here. I love it. I just absolutely love preaching, so really excited. Uh, about myself, we, were ju- we just moved, um, and I have, I have a premium calfskin Bible. Okay, For those that don't know, those are pretty expensive. I bought it when I worked for Lifeway Christian Stores throughout college, so I got a great discount on it. It's glorious. It, uh, it's verse by verse, uh, single column. Those that know that stuff, Tony might know that, but uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, and when I was packing it up, I said, you know what, I- I'm going to not pack this with my normal books because I don't want to get stolen or lost, so I'm going to pack it in a secret place that only I know. <laughs> and that was five years ago, and I still don't know where this thing is. And so when I get up and preach, what's crazy about the Bible is that on the back, it says that it gives your sermons 15% more glory. I, and, and not just any glory, Shekinah glory, Okay. <laughs> And so I don't have that, and so every time I preach, I feel like it's 15% less. So please bear with me, have some grace, and uh, like I said, I'm excited to preach today. So uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles. We've been going through 1 John. So open up to 1 John. We're going to be right at the end of chapter 2, going into chapter 3. And if you would stand as we read it. So we're starting in verse... 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that that I can communicate your word clearly. Jesus, I pray that you will come across as glorious in this sermon. This is a very difficult passage, so I pray that I would be clear and that it would be an encouragement to believers and that those who don't know you would turn and repent, Father. I pray that right now that you would use me to speak and that, again, we would just be able to follow along here with your precious word. So we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So I've been going through First John. Uh, th- this letter was, it doesn't actually technically state who wrote it, okay? It doesn't give, a, at the beginning, a statement saying, I, John, write this with my own hand like Paul did. So we're assuming that it's John, and there's a lot of great assumptions, and, and we can be 99% sure it was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved who wrote it. Uh, He's writing it to a small house church. 
Uh, not many, not more than probably 20 people. So he's writing this letter to, and he was writing to them because false teachers had come in and tried to dissuade them from the faith. Um, they, they were teaching things like that you, you should love worldly possessions, that you should have conflict with your brothers, you should hate your brother, that's acceptable. And John, he, he advises them that they went out from you because they were not of us. That's what Tony mentioned last week. Um, and just this idea of John is giving us warnings here about false teachers. What's also unique about the letter of First John here is that it uses a literary style known as amplification. And as we read, I, I hope you realize that it kept circling back to certain ideas, kept repeating the same things. And that's what amplification does. It, it takes, it's almost cyclical thinking, and it keeps circling these issues and coming right back to them. And, and to paraphrase, it's, you're basically saying the same thing over and over again to get one point across. And that's what he's doing here in this passage. So uh, as you probably were reading, you noticed that a couple words popped up a lot. So we have the word practice show up seven times, righteousness show up six times, and then appearance or appeared five times. So as we go through this, I'm going to highlight that and show you that there's a point to that. John is, is making a, a major point here. So Verse 28 and 29, we're just going to go right through it here. This, because the Bible was never written uh, in chapter verse connotation, this is, this is the, the, the case where it, that, that's a bad thing that it has these chapters and verses because these thoughts here, the, the really the, the, it starts at 228 through 29 and we've divided it into a separate chapter and it shouldn't be. So verse 28 is really the start of everything. And what it, what it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame and his coming. This is the, the thesis statement of what he's going to make, the arguments he's making. Okay, he wants believers to be sure of themselves. He wants you to know your standing, where you are as a believer. He wants you to know that so that you won't shrink in fear when Jesus returns. Jesus is coming back. One of the things the false teachers were always saying is that Jesus wasn't coming back. It's been so long, he's not coming back. But John reassures us that he is coming back and that when he appears, believers can have confidence. And that's what he's going to build here, the case he's going to build for us. Um, he talks about abiding here. That's also a word that's mentioned a couple times in this uh, section. Abide in him. That means to, to be in Christ, to be found in him. And John is saying... As believers, we want to be found in him so that when he appears, we have no shame at his coming. Uh, verse 29, it says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So this is an interesting statement because he's trying to again solidify who we are as believers. If you know that Jesus is righteous and you're found in him, then you can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is of him. Think back to the verse uh, sermon prior where it's talking about they went out from us because they were not of us, for if they were of us, they would have remained. Those that are in Christ, we remain in him. And so John is saying that if you know this truth, you can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is of him. So the question is, what is righteousness? That's a word that we throw around a lot in the church. It's mentioned a lot in the Bible, especially in the book of Romans. Paul's writings use it quite frequently. And it's not the statement of just doing the right thing. That's not what it means, especially in biblical context, okay? What righteousness means is it is listening and obeying God's word in particular. Uh, listen to, to 2 Timothy 3.16 here. That's where I'm 
going to get this. It says, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it's saying the word of God is there to train us in righteousness, to listen and obey. That's what it's for. Um, so he's saying that, that that's what righteousness is here. And he's going to start contrasting things in this section here. So if you know that he is righteous, be sure um, that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And so he's going to start contrasting things like with God's word. So you're listening and obeying that, and then he's going to contrast that with sin, as we, as we read previously. So this is the first time that we get the word righteousness. As I said, it's the first of seven times, and he's going to keep repeating it. We also get the word practice in here. Um, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, I'm part of the first place Cornerstone softball team. Shout out to everybody who's part of it. Uh, that's right. Uh, and I had not played softball in 15 years when I showed up the first day. And I can tell you it was not pretty, okay? The first at-bat that I had, I almost blew out my hamstring because I sprinted to first base. That happened. The reason for that is that I was not practicing softball, okay? I did not practice it. Where if I had practiced it, I would not have almost blown out my hamstring first, first at-bat. So that's what it looks like to practice something. You, you, you keep doing it over and over again, and you become better at it. And that's what the call here is, to practice righteousness. So are we reading our Bibles? Are we listening and obeying God's Word? That's what our call is as believers, is to practice these things every day. Um, so first, uh, first verse in chapter 3, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Um, that is an amazing statement there. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We are now in his family. We are not separated from it as believers. We are in the house of God. We are children. And that is an amazing statement. And then it says in, in verse 3-1 here, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So you can think about the context of who John is writing to. He's writing to a small house church that had been completely rejected by their culture. Okay? And he's saying the reason why the world doesn't know you is that it didn't know him. So they're not part of the club. They're not in the in crowd. They've been rejected. They are strangers to these people. When they knock on the door, they don't know them. Okay? But, but he's saying here the reason why that's occurring to believers is because they did the same thing to Jesus. They didn't know him. They rejected him. So as believers, we can expect the same type of response from the world in that case. Um, and it's, again, it's just an interesting statement, this idea of that the world does not know him. It never has. It never will, apart from his sovereign grace. You know, people like to think that if Jesus were here today, things would be a little different. I disagree. I think he would die much faster. I think he would have been murdered a lot faster in today's culture because that's what we did when we had him here, standing five feet in front of us. All we wanted to do was kill him. That's what the people wanted to do. And I don't think things would be different today. So the world does not know him. And in verse 2 it says, Beloved, we are God's children now. He's reiterating this. It keeps coming up. Little children, children, children. We are God's children now. That's where we belong. That's who we are as believers. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. It's that word. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This, this brings to mind that, that, that wording, the appearance, and we will be like him of Colossians. Remember Paul's teaching that, that when he appears, you will also appear. You will be with him in glory. Like, I just love that verse. That, and that just re- reminds me of this, where it's this idea of like being found in Jesus means that you will be like him in the end. That's what happens to us as believers. So when he appears, we can have confidence that we will be like him, is what he keeps reiterating here. So verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, interesting wording here. It's, again, what reminds me of it is almost Romans 4, 18, where, where, where Paul is laying out this case for Abraham and his faith. It says, In hope he believed against hope. No distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced God was able to do what he had promised. It says that is why his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And when I read this, everyone who thus hopes in him, hopes in the promise, purifies himself as he is pure. So you become more and more like Christ as you hope in his promises. His promises are found here, training us in righteousness. Um, that, that just for some reason stuck out in my mind when I read that. Uh, verse 4, what happens now is we switch subjects, okay? And, and at first, the first section, he's talking about believers and who we are, our place. We're children now. We should be training ourselves in righteousness. And then he takes a shift and he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So he takes a shift from righteousness to sin. And the, this is the first contrast we have where it's, again, first talking about righteousness, now talking about sin. Those two things are opposed to each other. And it says lawlessness is the word he chooses to use here. Sin is lawlessness. I don't know why he chose to use those words. I only know that he's, he's referencing some things that Jesus said, right? You think back to Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus is talking to people and he's talking about the end times in particular. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you you workers of lawlessness. Same word there. And so it's this idea of, of, of John is trying to get us to the point where we're remembering what happens when Jesus comes back. He's going to separate people into certain categories here. You're either with him, found in him, or you are not. And it says that those who are not, he A, didn't know them, and they were workers of lawlessness. So John really wants to highlight here that sin is that lawlessness. That's how you're not found in Christ. It's sinning, being, being found in that. And so it says, he reiterates, you know in verse 5 that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. That was the, the reason why Jesus came was to defeat sin and death. The curse that we were given at the beginning in the garden, he came to reverse that curse, I'm sorry, to, to fulfill all the promises that God had promised us And he came to do that, and it says he came to take away sins. That was why he was here. That's the blessing that we have in him as children. And so it says, um, verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. It's important to keep in mind that this is the same author who wrote in the first chapter of this letter that if you say you have not sinned, you are a liar, okay? 
I don't think this passage is meant to say that no one has ever sinned. That's not it at all, and that you can continue not sinning. I think this passage, again, is meant to show a contrast between two types of people, those who keep on sinning and those who practice righteousness. That's what it's meant to do here, and it says, let uh, no one who abides in him, so if you're found in Christ and you're continually abiding in him, no one who does that keeps on sinning. And it says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know them. There's that part where it's this idea of you don't know him if that is a a practice of your life. You don't know him. And he's trying to separate people into two categories here. And then it says again, reiterating this, verse 7, little children, that's who we are as believers, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. That is mirrored with the first section of this uh, passage. It's completely mirrored there. And he's saying, let no one deceive you. Okay, there's, there's false teachers in, in, in that church here. And he's saying, don't let them deceive you. If you practice righteousness, you are found in Christ. And that's what he's saying there. Um, verse 8, this again takes another turn. And, and, and I, I mentioned that idea of amplification, the style that he's using as he's writing. Another um, attribute of that is you make bold, contrasting statements. And there's nothing more bold than this statement that comes up in verse 8 here. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he takes a complete turn here and, and just really focuses on the culprit of all of this. The enemy. And he says, the reason this is happening is because of the devil. And if you make a practice of sinning, there's that word practicing then you are of the devil. I mentioned in my prayer, this is a very hard passage to, to speak and, and teach on. And I know that. I don't take this lightly at all. But it's very serious. And it's meant to be serious for us as believers and for those sitting in the room who are non-believers, don't know this. This is meant to be contrasting, bold language here to say you are either found in Christ or you are following the devil. There's no middle ground here. That's the point of this passage. So, he also then provides the reason for the cross again. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Shades of the promise that he will crush the serpent's head. That was the promise God gave in the garden. Came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So they have practice again. Think back to that. What is it? It is continually working on something so that you will become better at it. Practicing sin is you become better and better at sin each time. That's the danger with sin as well, is that it frequently is a gateway to other things that are darker. And it says no one who makes a practice of that is of God, is found in him. It says, um, for God's seed, so this is the reason why no one born of God keeps on sinning. It's because for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So John is giving us the the, the reason why believers in particular, those who worship and love Jesus, who know him, the reason why we cannot keep on sinning is that his word is in us. The seed is often interchanged with the word of God here, especially in the parables of Jesus. It says the seed represents the word. So the word of God is found in you. And the reason for that, and the Holy Spirit, his, one of his job specifications is that he convicts the world of sin and righteousness. He brings to remembrance God's word and it will not let you keep sinning. 
The Word of God will always come to you. You will always repent as a believer. So, a child of God cannot keep on sinning because God's Word is in him through the Holy Spirit, and it is always producing repentance. Always. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us and for us here. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God. And so by this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Again, a contrasting statement here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Loving your brother is a direct commandment from Jesus. It's his word. If you do not do that, he's saying you don't know him. And then it says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. If you don't listen and obey God's word, you are not of God. He keeps reiterating this point. Cyclical, always coming back to it. There is a major point here. You are either listening and obeying God's word or you are not. John is separating the people in this room and in this church into two camps. He's saying it should be clear to us who is and who isn't a child of God. It should be crystal clear to us based on if you practice righteousness as in listening and obeying God's word. Harsh statements here from John, okay? It is, like I said, it's divisive. It really is. It's the definition of it. He's dividing people into two camps. But this is not the first time this language has been used in the Bible in particular. Um, I I really want to focus on another passage here. So if you would turn to John chapter 8. We're going to go through that now. One of the reasons why they know that John wrote this letter, 1 John, was because it references so much of the Gospel of John, who we know are the same authors here. So he, he wrote this, and as I'm just going to read um, verse 39 here uh, through, let's see, 30, I'm sorry, verse 31 through 47 of John chapter 8. I'm going to read it, and what I want you to do while I'm reading it is see if you can pick out the comparisons to what we just read. Okay, so be thinking about those things. Starting in John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if, Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 
harsh language from Jesus here. I, I mentioned earlier that the world does not know Jesus. It never has, it never will, apart from him. Okay? For some reason in our culture, Jesus is depicted in one way that is nothing like the actual Jesus. You know, no one would ever say that he, he spoke this boldly and harshly to people. He's always depicted as being what I call hippie Jesus, loving everything, never angry, never using harsh language, but that is not the case when you actually look at the Word of God here. This is an extremely harsh statement. All of this is harsh to hear, and think about who he's saying this to. He's sitting in the temple. He had just said, I am the light of the world. That's the previous passage, and he's sitting in the temple teaching. It says, so he said to the Jews who had believed in him, He's saying this to people who, on the surface, said that they believed in him, that they would follow him, and he's teaching them in the temple. And in verse 31, it says, if you, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. There's that comparison to 1 John. Abide in his word, you are actually a follower of Jesus, if you're found in that. Verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That does not come from a movie. That line is from the Bible, Okay. It's often misquoted, but it's from the Bible, that statement. The truth will set you free, is what he says. Free from what? That's the question. They rightly got to that point. They said, what are you talking about? What are we free from here? They answered in verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is an interesting statement because they have been enslaved many times as a people. Many times. And in particular, they were enslaved because of sin. They were sent into Egypt, okay? They were enslaved by Babylon, Assyria, and even you can consider Rome technically enslaving them right now. Not, they weren't free to do whatever they wanted. So it's a strange statement. I don't know if they're saying them in particular, those people were not enslaved. Okay, fine. But it's just odd that these Jewish teachers were saying we were never enslaved when their history is filled with slavery. Anyways, it says we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The word slave there is bondservant, okay? That means that you're owed, you owe something to someone, okay? And you become a bondservant until you pay off that debt. And we know the wages of sin is death. You owe a debt to sin, and that is death if you remain in it. Um, and he says that... Um, Everyone who practices sin is that. You are a slave to sin. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's that language again about being children versus not children. It's a contrast here. You are either a slave to sin or you are a child of God in the house here. Um, verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. This is interesting because, again, Jesus knows who they are. He's not surprised by their stance or their belief, even though they outwardly say that they believe in him. He knows who they actually are and that they're trying to kill him. They've done it many times in the, in the chapters previous as well. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. He knows exactly who they are. But you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. It's that idea of righteousness and seeking after it. God's word, listening, obeying, and it finds no place in these people. And he says in verse 38, 
I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And here's another contrast. He's starting to set up, there's, there's people in this camp with one father, and then there's another group of people with another father. He says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, this is fascinating because, number one, Jesus set up a division. Again, said there's two camps, right? But what is amazing that can often be missed is the word and how he interchanges this word, okay? First of all, the first part is offspring. So that word is a separate Greek word, okay? Um, it is, you're going to laugh, the word is sperma. Okay, yes, it's where we get that word from, okay? It's, it's this idea of you're just, yes, you are an offspring, okay, of Abraham. And then what he says in verse 39, Jesus says this. Um, I'm sorry, in verse, yeah, they answered him, Abraham is your father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children. So he changes the word from offspring to children. Children is a different Greek word there that means what it means. It, you are a child. You are found in the house. You are not a slave. And Jesus does that, and I love that he does that because he's saying, if you were actually Abraham's children, they're saying we're offspring, and so he's going with that. Yes, you are actually just offspring. You are not a child of God. You're not a child of the promise. You are just offspring. And here he's saying, if you were actually a child, this is what you would do. He said you would be doing the works of Abraham. In verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Not at all. Abraham did not seek to murder God's prophets. He did not seek to, to, to uh, falsely proclaim God's word. He believed God and his promises, his word, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, Again, in verse 40, he establishes that division. You are not doing what your, what your alleged father, he's not actually their father, you are not doing what he did. Verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. The reason why they say that is that is a knock against Jesus, right? Jesus was born to a teenage mother, okay? More than likely his father died early, Joseph, because he was not around in a lot of these stories. And it's almost like the word spread around that Jesus was just born out of sexual morality. So his, his mother cheated on, his betrothed, or on her betrothed husband, and that was the knock against him. And that's why they say this. They're trying to, to dig at Jesus and say, we weren't born of sexual morality like you. So they're trying to discredit what he's saying. That, that's why that's there. And again, think about the word interchange where Jesus is, knows everything about them and he's not calling them children. He's calling them illegitimate children. And here they call him something other than what he actually is. He says, we have one father, even God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, if you actually were a child of God, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. That's interesting because Jesus was obeying God's word. Okay, he obeyed everything to the point of death on the cross. He obeyed. Righteous is who he was. Righteous in everything. And he's saying, that's what I did, and you don't believe that. And think back to 1 John. He says that those who believe that he is righteous, you, are, you become righteous. If you believe that, clearly these people did not. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? 
uh, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus names their actual father here. Okay? It is the devil. They follow him because they are seeking to murder him. People who seek to murder other human beings are not of God. That is not righteous. That's not listening to the word of God. One of the biggest commandments, you shall not murder. Right? So if you seek to murder people, you are not obeying God's commandment. And here he's saying you're actually following a father. His name is the devil, the enemy of God. Harsh words here from Jesus. You are, he calls them children of Satan. Very harsh language here. And he divides them into two camps. He said here, he was a murderer from the beginning, and that's who they are following after. Um, verse 45, but because I tell the, the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus is asking a question here. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? What has he said or done that has been wrong, that has not been in line with God's word? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Bold claim that these people who had just said they believed in him do not actually know him. And he actually says you are not of God and you follow your father, the devil. That's what he says to him. And if you're curious, this does not end well. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you have not, verse 55, if you skip down there, but you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, this is Jesus talking, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Statement of deity there. He is God, Yahweh. They knew exactly what he was saying there because it says they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He used the cloak of invisibility, I guess. I don't know what happened here. It just, literally, that's what it sounds like. He just hid himself somehow. But this did not end well, this conversation. It ended with the people that Jesus said were murderers. It ended with them trying to murder him. Think about that. This is exactly what he was saying was in their heart all along. Murder was in their heart. That's what they wanted to do because they're following their father. So, I said we, we went through a lot of passages here, okay? A lot of words here about just abiding, righteousness, sin, a lot of comparisons and contrasts here. What was the point of it? Why does it matter that that in 1 John and in John, Jesus wants people to be divided. Why does that matter? I think it matters for a couple reasons, okay? Number one, for our ministry purposes. As believers, we're called to minister to those. You know, we're called to proclaim the gospel, teach the truth. You have to know where people are. You have to know where they stand. And John wants us to be confident that we can gauge where people are. If you practice lawlessness and sin, you are not of God you can make that bold claim. If you are practicing righteousness, you are of God. That's what he's set in that contrast here. It's also to eliminate confusion amongst non-believers. There's nothing worse than talking with people and they list off a heretical Christian or something, 
and they go, well, they believe what you believe, don't they? No, not at all. And you have to explain that. This is not who we are as believers. Or you have people that give you bad name, right? In the news, all these stories of people who are doing things that Jesus would not have done and that are actually disobeying God's commandments, and yet they're labeling themselves as Christians. So part of labeling people and putting them in camps is so that that will not happen. Another reason, though, is, is flattery, okay? Flattery is a sin that has grown out of control in this culture. If you don't know what that is, I always say flattery is best depicted by watching American Idol, okay? Stick with me, I promise, it makes sense. The best parts of American Idol are the first couple weeks. Everybody knows that. That's what everybody watches for. It's where those weirdos get up there and they sing, and they can't sing, and it's, everybody laughs at them, and the judges get mad, and all that. That's, that's what's actually, in the, 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 in the ratings, that's what's highest rated, is that portion of the show. But what flattery is, is what happens after those people get booed off the stage, basically, their parents come up to them, and they say, don't listen to them. You're great. You're amazing. You're fine. They don't know what they're talking about. That's flattery. It's very dark, because what it does is it does nothing for the people, they can't sing. Everyone knows that, yet someone is telling them they can. That is flattery. And in this culture, we tell people they're okay when they're not okay. This is not good. So you have to be able to divide people into those camps to go, you are not okay right now. You are not of God right now. You are practicing sin. You are not obeying God's word. And we have to be able to do that as believers and I believe that's why John does that, and he wants us to be confident in being able to do that. In our culture, we, we don't enjoy doing that. We want to put people in the middle. We want to say, you know what? They're not children of Satan. They're just right here in the middle. They're so close. But that's not what Jesus did, and that's not what John says and teaches. There are two camps only. You're either of your father, the devil, or of God. And that's what he's very clear about here. Last thing that I'm ending with, okay? There is a doctor, I just listened to a debate with him, uh, his name is Dr. Willie Parker, okay? This guy is an abortion doctor, right? And he debated a Christian apologist uh, about the issue, and he admitted that he's a Christian, says, loves Jesus, worships him, and that he knows that what he's doing is murder. He says, I know that I'm murdering children. However, what I'm doing is I'm loving my neighbor as myself. This woman is desperate, she needs help. So my job as a Christian like the woman caught in adultery, is to love her first. That's what he says. So he, A, knows that it's murder, he knows that he's committing it, and he does it. I can boldly say he is not a follower of God. Why is that? Because he's a murderer. He is a murderer. Admittedly so, he is a murderer. And he is claiming to know Jesus, to know God. And that is not him at all. That is not of God. We know that Jesus just taught us that that is of Satan. That is of the devil. So I say that again to make these claims. We can do that. We know how to approach these issues. You can look at it and go, that is not righteous. That is sin. And you can label that person. So here's a question for you. Where are you? Sitting in this room right now, where are you? What camp are you in? a very important question. Um, as we read verse 28 of 1 John, think back to that. Jesus is coming back. He's going to appear. And it says, I'm writing this so you can be confident and not shrink in fear at his coming. 
That's the point of all this. Where are you? Are you practicing righteousness? If not, you can turn away and repent from your sin right now. The second, there is forgiveness through the cross. That's why he came. John kept reiterating that. That's why he appeared to conquer sin and death. So we as a group are going to partake in communion right now. What that is is remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. Remembering his death is, is, and his broken body is the bread and remembering that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins is the cup and the drink. That's what we're going to do as a body. And I, I encourage you to pray, repent if you need to, and practice righteousness. Let me pray. Father, we just praise you for your word. It is glorious and true. Thank you um, for, for life. Father, thank you that I'm, that I'm able to, to know and understand it and that you've given those in this room who know you, Jesus, you've given us life. So I pray right now for those who do not know you that they would be convicted, that the Holy Spirit would work in them and convict them of their sin and they, they would repent and turn to you, Jesus. So I pray that. We thank you for your word and we pray these things in your name. Amen.